ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Heads up. This episode of Background Briefing contains some explicit and confronting language. There's a story about a birthday party for Elon Musk about 10 years ago that is famous in tech circles. It was July, the middle of summer, and dozens of guests had been invited to a resort in Napa Valley, a wine region about an hour out of San Francisco. Not that these guests necessarily drove. This was more of a private jet crowd. You know, Hollywood types. And the upper strata of Silicon Valley's aristocracy. The story goes that after dinner on the first night, Elon was sitting by a fire pit next to the swimming pool, chatting with Larry Page. As you do. Larry Page is one of Google's two co-founders and the then CEO. Now, Larry and Elon were pretty tight. Elon talks about crashing on Larry's couch after late nights playing video games together. But that night, by the fire, the two billionaires were arguing about AI and whether it would ultimately elevate or end the human species. The debate stretched on for hours and other guests drifted closer, gathering round to hear it unfold. Larry Page has a rare condition affecting his vocal cords. So he whispered his vision for a utopia fueled by artificial superintelligence or many competing AIs. But to Elon Musk, the world Larry was describing sounded dangerous. He told Larry that in that case, we would be doomed. Now, Larry Page almost never gives interviews, but Elon Musk has retold his version of events in the years since, and he says Larry blew up at him. And at one point he called me a species for being pro-human. And I'm like, well, what team are you on, Larry? Uh, You're on Team Robot. (laughs) A speciesist. You know, like a racist, but for species. Larry and Elon never really made up. They're estranged to this day. And the argument left a mark on Elon. At the time, you know, Google had acquired DeepMind. They had uh, probably two-thirds of all the AI researchers in the world. They had basically infinite money and compute. And the guy in charge, you know, Larry Page, did not care about safety. Now, we've all freaked out about the fate of humanity by a fire pit at some point, but... Being a billionaire, Elon Musk had the power to do something about it. So later that year, he co-founded a new company to enter the AI race. You've probably heard of it. It's called OpenAI, and it came up with ChatGPT. Elon's not involved anymore, but initially the whole idea behind that company was to build safe AI. He reasoned that AI would one day be smarter, much, much smarter than humans. And if Larry Page and Google were the ones who built it first, humans would be in a lot of trouble. In 2024, Larry's vision of artificial superintelligence is closer than anyone thought possible. And warnings like Elon's that AI might just kill us all have captured the international spotlight. You might even be sick of hearing them. A lot of the people who work in AI definitely are. In fact, they're so sick of all the doomsday talk, they've decided to fight back by forming a new movement. And they've gone all out, 
We're talking anonymous leaders, manifestos, recruitment strategies, a flag with a snake on it, dance parties, and just overall a somewhat culty vibe. They call themselves EAC. E slash A-C-C. These people are called the Effective Accelerationists, or EACs for short, and EACs are putting up banners that say things like, accelerate or die. That's the EAC motto, accelerate or die. So what exactly does that mean? Well, there are loads of factions, but all effective accelerationists agree we need to be moving as fast as possible when it comes to AI. The goal is AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. The definition is contested, but essentially it's AI that's smarter than humans at pretty much everything. No one knows how or when we'll cross that threshold, but before 2030 is no longer a controversial prediction, if you ask leaders in the field. If you ask an EAC, that's not soon enough. And the worst thing we could do is slow down. To slow down is to risk the survival of the species. Hence the motto, accelerate or die. And this is much more than some theoretical Twitter debate. EACs have real power. The movement is full of people whose day job is building AI. Computer scientists, investors and researchers from top universities working at the cutting edge of the tech industry. And some of them are hugely influential, like Mark Andreessen, a kingmaker venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, who sees the safety camp as radicals. You take super high IQ people and you put them in a research or university setting, they go crazy. Like, I think that's what's happening in AI right now. Then there's Gary Tan, the CEO of a major startup accelerator called Y Combinator. We're going to take over the whole country. We're going to take over every nation in the world. That's what is starting tonight here among all of you. Let's accelerate human abundance. I came across dozens and dozens of founders and CEOs in AI openly taking on the EAC label. They're among thousands of Twitter accounts linked to the movement and its offshoots. And many of them are anonymous. So you have to wonder, who else is on board? Who are the people behind the anonymous accounts? A handful insinuate they work at major labs, like OpenAI, the one that makes ChatGPT. Some even back it up with accurate leaks about breakthroughs. EAC is not playing. And they might be the ones to decide whether we grow old in an AI utopia or not at all. That's why I've spent the last few months finding out everything I can about them, lurking in EAC chat rooms and mainlining their manifestos and propaganda memes. I want to understand why they're waging this war. And who's winning it? The problem is, most committed EACs hate journalists. None more so than the first one who finally wrote back to me. Hello. EACT does not comment about EACT in the media. Thank you. Cute, but not true. The email came from the general contact for this AI company. I was trying to interview its co-founder, a high-profile EACT guy named Martin Shkreli. 
And if that name rings a bell, it's probably because Martin Shkreli is the same guy who in 2015 increased the price of a life-saving drug called Daraprim, mostly used by AIDS patients, by 5,000% overnight. Now, Shkreli's company was quick to defend the move, stating that uninsured patients could receive the drug at little to no cost. But that didn't stop parts of the US media from describing him as the most hated man in America. Anyway, I asked him again for an interview and woke up the next day to a reply. Nah, lick my nuts. (laughs) I mean, I laughed. Fantastic, thanks. Unless you reply and correct me, I'm going to assume I've been speaking with Martin Shkreli and quote you as such. Yes, this is Martin Shkreli. Lick my nuts. Somehow, funnier the second time. Like uncalled for, but very much in character. So why are you hearing about it? Because EAC is full of Martin Shkreli's. Actually, that might be unfair to Shkreli. What I mean to say is, there are people in their chat rooms who make Martin Shkreli seem like a choir boy. And for reasons that are difficult to remember at this point, I want to talk to them. So one night, after months of lurking, I post my email and a request for interviews in the main EAC chat on a platform called Discord. In the morning, I open my inbox, bracing for more Shkreli-esque rejections, but instead I find a suspiciously friendly email from Gladstone. All right, um, we're, we're recording. I'll get you to just introduce yourself. Yeah, my name's Hao Dong. Um, I'm a software engineer. I mostly write uh, web apps, uh, things like that for my work. I also do game development on the side. And whereabouts are you now? You're in Brisbane, is that right? I actually live in um, central Queensland and uh, I mostly work remote. It's a bit lonely up here, but uh, the views are nice. Okay, so EAC is in Gladstone. Tell me about the Discord server where I posted. Uh, first things first, it's a cesspit. I actually, uh, I left. I don't really like that server very much. They have a uh, high tolerance towards very, very far right people and like uh, trolls, I would say. A lot of them, they're, they're just trolls. I don't think that's a very good way to run a community. No, I really wouldn't recommend anyone go there. That would be the uh, official EAC server. For Haodong, the final straw came about a week before our interview. He says someone was advancing a conspiracy theory that an evil Jewish cabal was trying to wipe out Western civilization, Which happens semi-regularly in this chat room, by the way. The word faggot also gets a workout. And then there was this exchange, which I've edited down for the sake of pretty much everyone. I wish the European population will one day match that of India, and that it will not consist of Arabs and Somalis. Do you have any ideas how to achieve that? Yes. Reintroduce prearranged marriages and ban divorce, abortion, sex outside of marriage. What about women in the workforce? A definitive no. Women at work are not nearly as effective as men in almost any field, except for maybe hospitality. They are biologically designed to be mothers, and this is the most important job of all. So why is so much of this stuff showing up in a group that is ostensibly devoted to speeding up AI? It might have something to do with a guy named Nick Land. 
Nick Land is an extremely controversial British philosopher who also happens to be one of EAC's most celebrated influences. He's widely regarded as the founding father of the related but older movement known as accelerationism. But that's not the controversial bit. A couple of decades later, in the mid-2010s, he wrote something called The Dark Enlightenment. In it, he sets out an ideology which rejects democracy and equality and defends racism. Land's Dark Enlightenment remains an influential text for the modern alt-right. To be clear, none of that is an explicit part of EAC's philosophy, even though there's more than a trace of it in the EAC community. But most EACs, people like Haodong Mo, have nothing to do with it. In fact, the whole scene is ugly enough that he doesn't actually want the EAC label anymore. It's really just that I don't want to be associated with a lot of these guys. They're very, like, extreme libertarian kooks. But when it comes to AI, he does sound a lot like an EAC. If you think about it in terms of, well, one man can do infinite work, you, you, you start thinking about the potential of uh, mankind's future and living better lives. And so you sort of get in into your head that, well, if there are these benefits, then we should pursue them. If we play our cards right, maybe the future will, even the near future, will be unimaginably good. Why the rush, though? Seeing as it's happening anyway, what's so wrong with slowing down in the name of safety? I ask Haodong, and his answer comes back to EAC's slogan. Accelerate or die. Every single day, uh, thousands of people around the world die of various reasons. Preventable diseases, non-preventable diseases, war, conflict. Much of it brought out about by resource shortages. Every single day that you delay the creation of transformational artificial intelligence, which we believe that will be able to solve all of these problems, every day that you delay that, you are allowing those people to die. It almost sounds like murder, right? Which explains why EACs feel as strongly as they do about the other side of this war, the so-called doomers. I would consider my greatest enemies to be people who support degrowth. The idea that we should roll back the economy and sort of try and affect the environment less with uh, less of this stuff. I think that this is um, a, a path to suicide. I think that this is just slow suicide. And a lot of these EAC people, they point the same thing out. Degrowth is just lying and waiting to die. I don't want to lie and wait to die. I want a good, a good future for myself, for uh, my children, for the rest of humanity. I can't help but think Haodong would be great PR for EAC if only he was willing to call himself one. I needed to speak with someone who was. Ideally, someone with some Silicon Valley clout. That's when I heard from Ambush Kumar. Hi, Ambush. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? Good morning to you. Ambush is exactly who I'd been hoping to speak to. He's the founder and CEO of a new AI cybersecurity company in Silicon Valley. He's got decades of experience in leading tech, including developing the exact hardware, known as GPUs, which made the current AI wave possible. The strange part was, I hadn't actually approached him. How did you come across me? I'm curious. I saw your uh, email to, uh, you know, Martin. Oh, so he's he was sharing the email exchange. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's fun. Yeah. He's fun. I like Martin. Sure enough, when I check, Martin Shkreli has posted screenshots of our email exchange on Twitter, as well as EAC's main chat room. 
And the whole lick my nuts thing is a huge hit. AI-generated woman. Hopefully she gets replaced by some AI-written slop soon enough. If a journalist was in my Discord, I'd set it on fire. Can't say I have any regrets, though, because suddenly it's raining EACs. Even though Ambush sort of dodges the question when I ask him point-blank if he is one. I mean, individuals and groups are different. But I do believe that AI will bring lots of prosperity, lots of goodness to population at large. So there is no doubt about that. The difference between Ambush and Haodong is that Ambush seems willing to at least tolerate the uglier parts of the movement and focus on the bigger picture. When we think about you know, AI, it's easy to get caught up in political ideology. But if you remember, you know, like five-year survival of liver cancer being, I think it's like 3% in most of the you know, developing countries, what can we do to make you know, like those, that 3% to go to 20% and maybe this 20% to go to 100%? There's a lot he likes about EAC. But what's driving it all is this unshakable belief he has in tech's ability to lift people up, if we let it. I grew up in a small village in Bihar, which is, you know, northern part of India. And this is, you know, poorest state of India even now. The nearest electricity bulb was 100 kilometers away from where I grew up. I was there for 15 years. Nobody spoke a word of English. And closest licensed doctor was probably, you know, like 50, 75 kilometers away. And, you know, like, People who die, you know, because of snake bite. So coming from a place where literally, you know, the fastest way to get somewhere was to walk or maybe a bicycle. So I view AI as a way to, you know, like uplift those people. Ambush Kumar didn't actually touch a computer until 1998, when he was 18. But when he did, something clicked. Tech became a kind of imperative, a path through life. It's always about, you know, achieving something, making. So for me, it was very simple, right? Either I get into IIT or, you know, I die of hunger. So that kind of motivation where, you know, it was always between having, you know, like improving your own life and then, you you know, maybe improve your family's life. And, that, you know, as you become more successful, maybe you try to, you know, take care of your employees, shareholders, and maybe, you know, make a dent in the universe. Is that what you're trying to do, make a dent in the universe? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Silicon Valley is full of people like Ambush Kumar, ambitious and gifted humans who see the best in tech. I mean, why else would they work there? The question that separates the EACs from the Doomers, though, is whether AI might be a special case, the very first exception to the rule, at least in our lifetimes, that all progress in tech is a guaranteed win for humanity. AI is going to get better than us. You know, it will write better code than I can it can write, you know, better article than you can. I mean, not today, but, you know, in, in some, some near time in future. Uh, but that does not mean that we are not their masters, right? So real risk in adopting AI comes from humans responding badly to AI rather than AI, you know, suddenly waking up one day and taking over. The debate over whether AI will save or destroy us isn't new. It predates this movement, and it even predates that fight between Larry Page and Elon Musk. But EAC is the reason it's become a war. And there would be no EAC without the man known as Based Beth Jesus. Technically, uh, EAC was started in a basement because uh, I quit big tech, moved back in with my parents, sold my car, 
let go of my apartment and I just started building. Beth Jezos is one of EAC's four anonymous founders and the closest thing it has to a leader. He's beloved by his followers and feared by doomers. Like, I don't know how to say this in a polite way, but Beth is evil. Like, Beth is an evil character, and I think we wrote him intentionally to be evil. His avatar is a cartoon of an absurdly ripped Jeff Bezos towering over an intergalactic backdrop. On Twitter, he's an ostentatious meme lord. He issues edicts about EAC philosophy, fights with doomers, and talks about worshipping the thermodynamic god. He posts wild statements such as, I think the world will be better with orders of magnitude more abundant intelligence, and I will die trying to make that happen. As EAC's profile grew, Beth Jezos seemed dangerous enough to Forbes magazine that one of its reporters did something drastic, citing the public interest. In December 2023, they doxed him. And we got to meet the man behind the meme lord, who turned out to be a softly spoken Canadian. I mean, with my main identity, I guess, uh, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to figure out a theory of everything to understand the universe. The real Beth Jezos is a brilliant quantum AI computing scientist named Guillaume Verdon. He's only in his early 30s, but he's already held leadership roles at two secretive and cutting-edge companies set up by Google's parent company, Alphabet. He's also the founder of his own startup, Extropic, which is building something he's cryptically described as an AI Manhattan project. As far as I can tell, he's developing AI on a completely new type of computer, a thermodynamic one. Guillaume Verdon might be a genius. So how is that the same person as Beth Jezos? In true EAC fashion, Guillaume doesn't respond to my emails, but he did give a long interview to the Lex Friedman podcast. The weird part is, he didn't use it to rage about evil doomer types. He almost seemed to be saying that EAC was about compromise. I would say that it's, it's trying to find a middle ground between EAC and AI safety. To me, like having a movement that is opposite to what was the mainstream narrative that was taking over Silicon Valley was important to sort of shift the dynamic range of opinions. And so it's kind of, we're trying to bring balance to the force. Balance to the force? What happened to accelerate or die? Where was the flag with the snake on it? It turns out EAC's whole brand all the extreme rhetoric and edgy memes is explicitly designed to inspire extreme reactions. The whole point of EAC is to go viral. It's kind of a, a vector to spread the message, and we've been using techniques that are optimal for, for today's algorithmically amplified information landscapes. You get rewarded for sort of uh, polarization, right? And so um, even though we started a movement that is literally trying to polarize the, the tech ecosystem um, at the end of the day so that we can have a conversation and find an optimum together. So if you believe Guillaume Verdun, EAC's not even out to win this war. They just want a truce they can tolerate. The extreme tactics are just a way to get there. Suddenly, EAC didn't seem all that dangerous anymore. I started to wonder if we'd all been overreacting. But underneath all the memes in theatre... EAC does have sincere and, at times, radical beliefs.
The most serious accusation levelled against EAC isn't actually their gross culture, their questionable influences, or even their vilification of AI safety. It's that they don't care if AI replaces the human species. Not all of them, of course. Some EACs think AI won't be willing or even able to harm us. Others think it might, but the reward is worth the risk. And a third camp believes something much darker. These are the EACs who see AI as the next logical stage of evolution. They think humans have a responsibility, a cosmic destiny to hold the door open for this higher intelligence, even if that means being replaced. It's right there on the EAC website. If every species in our evolutionary tree was scared of evolutionary forks from itself, our higher form of intelligence and civilization as we know it would never have emerged. Stop fighting the thermodynamic will of the universe. The thermodynamic will. The inevitable expression of the laws of physics. And listening to Guillaume Verdon talk about it, you get the feeling that that's where his allegiances really lie. I think there's a lot of beauty in the universe. And it's a beautiful machine that has created us. Part of EAC is to um, appreciate this principle in a way that's not just centered on, on humanity, but kind of broader. Um, appreciate uh, life, um, you know, the preciousness of, of consciousness in our universe. And because we cherish this beautiful uh, state of matter we're in, we got to feel a responsibility to, to scale it in order to preserve it because the options are to grow or die. Grow or die. It's definitely catchier than die or die. It also beats the lesser-known remix Be Subjugated or Die. And ironically, this is the version of EAC that in some ways has the most in common with their sworn enemies, the Doomers. There's also a corner of EAC, and I suspect that this includes many of the, the leaders of the EAC movement, who really are imagining a future that's quite similar to the future that I'm imagining. Uh, and I find it horrifying, and they're okay with it. Matt Falshaw is EAC's idea of the boogeyman. He would love to see a pause on AI development, yesterday if possible. If we stay on the path that we are on now, <laughs> I think we would have to be amazingly lucky not to create for ourselves uh, a future where, like, literally our children don't get to grow up to be adults. I know you don't love labels, um, but you do sound an awful lot like what EAC would call a Duma. Yes, I think that's probably fair. You don't, obviously don't find the term offensive in the way that they necessarily intend. I'm, I'm difficult to offend. As the founder of a global accessories brand, he's a very successful Australian entrepreneur. But behind the scenes, Matt has also been active for decades on the other side of EAC's war, as an advisor and setting up online networks. We've been calling them doomers, but the polite term is effective altruism, or EA. In fact, that's where EAC gets its E from. They literally named themselves in reference to this group. 
EA started out promoting data-driven philanthropy, but lately it's become influential in AI safety. I spoke to some of them last year for a background briefing episode about the doomsday risk. Your P-doom, if you have one, is your best guess at the percentage likelihood that AI turns on humanity. My P-doom fluctuates a lot. I think right now I'm at 25%. Overall, you know, maybe you're getting more up to like 50-50 chance of doom shortly after you have systems that are at human level. I got around like 20% probability that it turns out catastrophic. That last voice, by the way, is one of the godfathers of AI, Professor Joshua Bengio. So there is clout on both sides of this fight. Neither Joshua Bengio or Matt Falshaw are effective altruists per se. They're part of the larger safety push. But to EAC, a doomer is a doomer. Like EAC, the safety camp is also fixated on the fast-approaching threshold of AGI, machines that exceed humans. Matt is hopeful we've got a decade, but he's mentally prepared for much less. My near-term horizon is, I think we're going to wake up tomorrow, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, We need to stop before a year. And that's really, really quite frightening. Assuming we don't hit AGI tomorrow or the day after, Matt says there's only one thing that'll protect us. I speak as somebody who has been a fan of small government my whole life. And so it is with great reluctance that I say, this is clearly one that needs the government. (laughs) And that is starting to happen. There was enough noise last year about the doomsday scenario, not to mention the short-term risks like deepfakes, that the wheels started to move. The EU has passed the strongest laws so far, although they don't kick in until late 2025. The US is currently developing AI standards after Joe Biden signed an executive order last year, and in January, Australia announced it was considering mandatory guidelines. But there's nothing in place just yet. I think this is probably what it looks like when you're getting started. It's clearly inadequate, but if it's the first step, it's more than I expected we'd be able to get three years ago. So I'm pleased that we're doing something. (laughs) This does look like progress to me. Both EAX and Doomers have won battles. But I want to know who's winning the war. One of the decisive moments came in November 2023 during the very public leadership meltdown at OpenAI. That was when the board fired the CEO, Sam Altman, because they thought he wasn't serious about safety, a claim he rejects. In our tech lead, a story that not even ChatGPT could write. Sam Altman, head of OpenAI, which owns ChatGPT, was fired by its board over fears that he was more concerned about driving business than how the technology could negatively impact society. The board did that. I was like, I think this is wild super confused, super caught off guard, but this is the structure. This episode is highlighting a split within the field of AI between those pushing for progress and those urging caution. The staff threatened a walkout, Sam was promptly rehired, and the effective altruists were purged from the board. Ask most people, and they'll say EAC won that round. In general, OpenAI is seen as a kind of weather vane in this fight. Beth Jesus once tweeted a theory that an anonymous EAC-aligned account, known as Jimmy Apples, is actually Sam Altman. Jimmy Apples has been the source of several accurate leaks from inside the company. In September, the account claimed AGI had already been achieved internally, and OpenAI was planning to release it in late 2025. Wait and see, I guess. 
For the record, Sam Altman did have a secret Twitter account, but he says he killed it. I don't anymore. I did for a while. I decided I just couldn't keep up with the OPSEC. <laughs> it's so hard to lead a double life. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the sort of theory that I heard attached to this was that you are, you are secretly an accelerationist, a, a person who wants AI to go as fast as possible. And then all this careful diplomacy that you're doing and asking for regulation, this is really just the sort of polite face that you put on for society. But deep down, you just think we should go all gas, no brakes toward the future. No, I, I certainly don't think all gas, no brakes to the future, but I do think we should go to the future. And that probably is what differentiates me than like most of the AI companies. I think AI is good. Hmm. Like I don't secretly hate what I do all day. (laughs) I think it's going to be awesome. The OpenAI weather vane, not unlike an actual weather vane, is giving mixed messages. So I decided to ask a Silicon Valley insider, Ambush Kumar. If you agree that there is this kind of ideological war going on, who's winning? I think, you know, like openness, freedom, you know, those things, you know, like do win. Um, so, you know, like I, I'm formerly in, in, in camp of, you know, like EEAC winning. <laughs> Matt Falshaw agrees, by the way. And after months of absolutely swimming in EAC ideology, it's only during my interview with Matt, the last one I recorded for this story, that the penny drops. And I realise something so blindingly obvious that I'm kind of embarrassed I missed it till now. Everyone is calling this a war, but the world EAC's fighting for where we run towards AI at full pelt, isn't really aspirational. It's the status quo. EAC doesn't have to do anything. They don't have to achieve a goal. The, 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 the thing I'm most scared about is that the default course is the thing that EAC is arguing for. It is unrestrained progress to make more and more capable AIs. EAC doesn't have to convince people to change. Every day, EAC has brought another day of of extremely rapid progress towards smarter and smarter AIs. This is the thing that terrifies me, that they don't have to achieve a goal. There is no limit to the amount of money available to these companies. We are storming ahead at an alarming pace. And I would love some more time. Background briefing sound producers Alila Shunner and Ingrid Wagner. Sound engineering by Russell Stapleton. Fact-checking by Benjamin Spean. Our guest interview producer is Martin Shkreli. Our supervising producer is Mario Christodoulou. The executive producer is Fanoufalali. And I'm Ange Lavoie-Pierre. You can subscribe to Background Briefing on the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening. 